Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So again, Jesus brings freedom, right? Brings. We want to just kick it off right there uh, with a, an awareness that this is something that's currently happening. Uh, where When we celebrate Advent, when we look at Christmas, you know, it's all past tense. So it's like, you know, that happened, that happened. But I think it's important to remember that there's something also happening, that Jesus Christ brings freedom. Now, first and foremost, of course, something we re- the reason we celebrate baptisms is because people have accepted the freedom of Christ for the first time, right? They have now eternal life. They don't have eternal death, right? Hell is a reality that Jesus came to talk about. And so he came to offer us freedom from that. And so that's step number one to begin the relationship with God. But then also just as important in this life though, is the fact that he says, I want you to have freedom in this life as well. I want you to have an abundant life as he says in John 10. And so for us to start with the understanding that Jesus is offering you something this morning, I think is really, really important for your soul, that he is offering you something this morning, today in your life here. And I think that's partly what helps us rediscover the Christmas story, because if we see the story for everything that it is, we see the Christmas story as being an important part, yes, but a part of a bigger story. I think that that's also what helps us embrace that freedom, understand that freedom, and see that God had something in mind a very, very long time ago that he knew Paul would say in Second Timothy, before time even began, he had this plan in Christ, right? So this is something that God always knew was going to have to happen. And so the Christmas story, again, plugs into that bigger story. And this is how Jesus viewed Christmas. In Luke 24, verse 27, this is how Jesus viewed his life in the context of the bigger story. So in Luke, PJ, in Luke 24, verse 27, Jesus says to two disciples that are pretty distraught because they don't understand yet about the resurrection. He says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in what? All the scriptures, right? So again, if Jesus viewed his life, the Christmas story, if he viewed those things in the context of the bigger story that they were part of, what should we do? also view it in the context of that bigger story. And I do, again, I believe that's how we rediscover what Christmas is really about and the power behind it. And today we're going to land, like I said, in Revelation, because that is one of those scenes uh, in Revelation that we'll get to that really, again, helps us see what was happening. Uh, Because Jesus is going back and going to the prophets, he's going to the law, he's going to Moses, right, to talk about himself. But of course, there's also carryover to the second coming right? That that's something that we today also look forward to, that Jesus said he's coming back. So if he said he's coming back and he came the first time, then we can probably believe him, right? And there's probably hope, there's probably meaning. And so Advent, of course, something that's not just here that we want to look at, because like I said earlier, Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, or arrival or coming. So we're looking at the first one, but as Brittany mentioned during worship music time, we are also looking forward to the second coming, right? The second advent. And so there's this crossover that's going to happen today that we begin to look at some of the scenes, not all of them, but some of the scenes from that nativity scene, right? That nostalgic little picture we all have in our mind 
of the manger and everything that was happening there. And so during Advent, we are going to be traditionally in four different Sundays for the most part. I don't know about you all, but I had never heard of Advent before I moved to New England. I don't know why. Uh, I just never had. I thought it was a Catholic thing when I first moved up here. I just kind of was like, oh, that's a liturgical thing. And I just, I didn't know anything about it until Dean was like, asked me one year. He said, hey, have you ever done Advent? I was like, I've not. I didn't even know what Advent meant. I, I had no idea what Advent was. And here I am a pastor, right? I didn't tell anybody back then. But now that I'm here, you can't do anything about that. So, um, but I just, I didn't, it was never part of my religious tradition uh, ever. And so he was like, well, what do you think about doing it here? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, you're the lead pastor. Let's do it, man. You know, if you, like, if you feel good about it, I said, and I'll just, I'll watch basically my first time doing it with you guys. And so we did. And so the, typically the, you know, the four traditional Sundays before Christmas, you have hope is the first Sunday. And we talked about hope uh, as part of our part one of Advent. So we went back to Genesis, we went back to Deuteronomy, we back and we spent some time in Isaiah looking forward to the hope that was coming, right? So Advent, again, two parts. The first part started with hope for us. And then last Sunday, we looked at faith. And faith, of course, was like, okay, so who are we putting our faith in, right? If freedom is promised, if, if freedom is hoped for, what does that mean exactly? Like, who am I putting my faith in? In Isaiah chapter 40, that's where you have that picture of God, that section of Isaiah 40 through 55, big section, nobody can compare to God. And it starts out in verse four or chapter 40, you know, he measured out the heavens with the span of his hand, right? Like that's the kind of person we're talking about when we talk about God is the one that can measure the heavens with the span of his hand, right? So Isaiah is kind of setting that up and it's that's who you're putting your faith in. Well, I'm not talking about all these things, all this hope that's to come, Israel, all this, you know, this freedom, this deliverance is coming. Who exactly we're putting our faith in? Like that's who we're putting our faith in. And today we'll look at joy because we're going to, we're going to, in a way, look at the joy of the manger scene and like all the angels and all that cool stuff. But we're also going to look at why really that was joyful. We're going to actually look at what's happening spiritually as that scene unfolded. And then next week, we'll look at peace together. You know, what comes from, uh, you know, the arrival of Jesus? Like what, what is the result for believers today? And one of the big tangible ones is peace. And then, um, I forgot to like this one. And then, we're going to be together for Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning, which is going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to those because, uh, again, we're going to land back in Revelation again because we are going to look in this Advent series from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Genesis 22 or Revelation 22. Like that's, that's the ground we're going to cover in six weeks, uh, and we're going to read every verse starting today. Wait a minute. So our first thing we want to do, though, is uh, just to go back briefly to our question, um, our overarching question. So go to that question, uh, PJ. So the thing for us to think about, consider, is what would it look like for you to actually finally embrace the freedom that Jesus Christ offers you today? Because it's a, it's a here and now thing. So is there something in your life, fear? Uh, is there like anger? Is there some kind of chronic sin? Is there some kind of baggage? Do you need to forgive somebody? Like these kinds of things that we just end up carrying around because we think that's what we're supposed to do. Um, because that's what we're kind of told. That's just what everybody else does. I was talking with a young man on uh, Thursday afternoon, evening somewhere. I don't know when it was, but sometime last week, uh, met him out at McDonald's and uh, he's uh, getting ready to, you know, he's got some big decisions in front of him and he's, you know, he's only 17 years old. And so he's or now 18 and he's trying to figure out what next steps are in his life. 
and something that he's been given a lot from his friends and from culture, he's now kind of realizing that he's put his hand on the stove and it burned him pretty bad, right? Like the, what culture gave him is normal, like he did it and he just assumed that was good and then he got burned from it. And then even looking forward now, we were talking about finances and I was like, okay, so like, what are your next steps? And some of the plans that he had were very much like what we should do in this life, right? And so he was one, like, he was already kind of shelling out lots of money that he hadn't even made yet, right? Because that's just what you do, right? You, you get a better job and you just start buying more stuff and you take on more debt. And I was like, see, man, I said, that's the kind of stuff that, because uh, I, I just knew where I was going to be this Sunday. And I said, that's the kind of stuff that Christ gives us freedom from. I said, we don't, have, we don't have to keep chasing these things. We don't have to keep putting ourselves in all this kind of debt. I said, why, like, maybe instead of like paying off uh, a loan for the next six years, maybe you just save up for two and then you just pay cash for it. And he was just like, this big light bulb went off in his head. You know, I could see it. And he was just like, I said, right. I said, why would you pay like a third more depending on what your loan is? And I was like, cause interest stinks, dude. <laughs> you know, I was like, I know you don't know that yet. I was like, but interest is not a fun thing. And he was just like, oh. I was like, but why do we do that stuff? Why do we do the, why do we chase these things? He's like, cause I need to have a nice truck like everybody else. And I was like, right. I was like, and Christ set us free from that kind of stuff, dude. So like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, let's be practical with our faith too, right? Like there is like the wonder and there's the miraculous, but there's also very much in this life, Jesus says, I want you to have freedom in very practical ways. So I just want, I don't want to get too far away from that question as we go. Um, because last week I introduced Galatians 5.1 specific to this point. The Apostle Paul says, for freedom, what? Christ set us free. It's, a, it's an odd sentence, right? For freedom, Christ set us free. It's like, well, obviously, but, but he makes the point. He says, so I need you to stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. You were set free for freedom. You weren't set free to be a slave again. Here he's talking about Old Testament law, but the, the principle still applies though. Don't go back to being a slave of what your culture is trying to get you to be a slave of because that was the issue. Culture was trying to pull them into this bondage of the old, following the Old Testament law. And Paul's like, no, that's, that's not what you should do. So we can defiantly say as followers of Christ, no, I don't have to think that way. No, I don't have to say that anymore. No, I don't have to be fearful about that anymore. No, I don't need to do that because why? For freedom, Christ has set me free, right? For freedom, Christ has set me free. And here's a note, here's a thought on freedom itself. Um, I was just thinking again a lot about freedom, obviously, during this series and have been using this a lot for myself. Right? I've been like applying this constantly to my life. If I, get, if I struggle with something, if I'm tempted by something, if like, anything comes up, I just keep repeating these ideas to myself lately. Like, no, 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 for freedom, Christ set you free, Kyle. You don't need to go down that road anymore. Right? That, that's not you anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. So I've really been applying this stuff. And then I was reading a devotional this week, and they said a couple things that just got like, things rattling around in my head. And so I wanted to share, uh, share it with all of you. So a note about like freedom, what we have in Christ. So next slide about compared to what Satan wants to do. So Satan, the accuser, is going to take your sin and he's going to point you toward what? Right. That's like the enemy loves to do that, right? Just bury you in shame and, and let you stay there. But however, Jesus, the Savior, is going to take your sin and he's going to point you toward what? Right. And this is what Jesus does. He said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm gonna, I may let you have consequences. I may discipline you, but why am I letting you have consequences? Why am I disciplining you? That's Hebrews chapter 12, because a loving father disciplines those that he loves. And he wants to point us in a different direction, right? Toward freedom, not toward slavery, right? And so that's why in the prodigal son, he goes out to meet his son and then brings him back to the family. 
thing brings him back into the fold rather than like, you know, pushing him back out, right? And so there's the, this is the picture, the idea that we get in scripture. And I know and from friends that I love and care about that first one, we start to sin and it separates us from God. It makes us awkward with him. And then we start to feel bad about it. And we start to do it more and more. And then we feel like this is something we can't escape from because this is a sin we've given ourselves permission to commit for so long. And now we don't know how to get out of it. And then we don't want to go to church because those people are so judgy there. Somebody might say something. Somebody might know about my personal sin. And oh my gosh, then what are they going to say? What are they going to do? I know. And so many people I've talked, you know, I just, I feel like everybody's going to know my sin when I come up the stairs. I'm like, what, I could be like a room full of prophets. Like, how are we going to know that? You know. Um, but even if we did, this should be the place that you could come anyway, right? Because yeah, I mean, if we love you, we're going to deal with it because that's what Jesus does. But at the same time, the the enemy says, shame, 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 shame. Don't talk to God. Don't talk to His people. Right. So this is what freedom versus what Christ offers, or versus what Satan offers us. So all that being said, that's kind of introduction, kind of like some highlights where we've been, some thoughts to keep us going forward on freedom. Um, but here's what I want you to do, like a mental exercise or a mental picture. I want you to think about the nativity scene, right? The manger scene in your mind's eye. When you think of that, what comes to mind? Like, do you go back in time and see like, and try to recreate a, a historically accurate picture, picture? Or do you, do you think of like what's sitting on your, like, you know, your TV stand at the house? You know, do you see like the little things? Because what's there? Like, let's put the pieces together, right? You've got maybe some angels like floating around at the top, uh, perhaps. You've got certainly the shepherds are there, right? And you got uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. If somebody didn't steal them, poor baby Jesus. Somebody's always stealing baby Jesus, right? And so you've got who else is there? Anybody? You got the yeah, you got the animals. Who else? Yeah, so you got the wise men that's there. And what's interesting about the nostalgia of the Christmas story, and again, how we view and approach the Christmas story, is remember, I'm trying to tie all these pieces together, is we take the Christmas story and we just we kind of yank it out of its context. And then what when that happens, then we're able to start kind of just doing whatever we want with it. Because the interesting thing about, and if you've been in church here at least for any measure of time, you're going to know that the wise men were not there, Right. There's a couple of reasons we know the wise men were not in that scene. One is because when they show up, it says they showed up to a house, right? So they're in a different place. I mean, just that alone, they're not in a manger scene anymore. Now they're in somebody's home. Secondly, the term that's used there, the Greek term, is no longer talking about an, like an, a newborn child. It's talking about a young boy, like maybe even like up to two years, like a toddler-aged boy. So by the time they get there, if you look at the biblical account and you look how the story is actually told— they're not showing up to a manger scene, right? But we kind of just put them there, right? Just because that's kind of the popular view of it because this story has become its own story, right? And then we just kind of see it as this little beautiful picture that's in our mind. And so I wanted to start there to think about what that looks like and then challenge us to stretch that out and see it in the full context like Jesus did, like it's presented in the Bible. And the stories that we're gonna look at today aren't necessarily packed into one place, but they're actually in several different places. So um, what I think we could do and what we should do with a biblical story of the nativity, right, of the manger scene, is we should look at it much differently than we do. It should look a lot more like D-Day than it does Silent Night, because there is some Silent Night for sure, but I think it should look a lot like a daring raid by an against all odds kind of savior named Jesus Christ that's like crashing into enemy territory, 
where it's you see like good and evil pitted against one another in this epic battle for the souls of mankind. That's the kind of Christmas story I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Like the History Channel is doing my Christmas story. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the one that you find in the Bible. It's not this peaceful little thing. It's literally like Jesus Christ, who is a freedom fighter, crashing knowingly into a spiritual warfare that's happening because you are that important. Jesus came to fight like mega all-out warfare because you matter that much. Like that's the Christmas story. And that's kind of what we're going to look at today. But it happened exactly when God wanted it to. Because if, in fact, the Christmas story is a part of a bigger story, there, that must mean that the Christmas story itself happened when it was supposed to at the proper time. And Paul actually says this specifically in Galatians chapter 4. He points out to his readers, because, you know, they, they're people too. They're still kind of wondering how it all fits together. And he's like, I just want you to know this story was on purpose. The story was intentional, and it was at the right time that it needed to happen. And so in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, this is what we have. Look at this. But when the right time came, right? Because God knew this was the time. God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So he was really born as a person, really born as a woman, just like us, subject to the law, right? So that's what Paul is saying. And then God sent him. So why did the Christmas story happen? He came to do what? by freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Again, the law is a big issue in the book of Galatians. So that he could adopt us as what? His very own children. So why did Jesus crash into the scene, crash into the manger? Is because he wanted to buy freedom for us because we were slaves to the law and also so he could adopt us as his very own children. This verse right here, this idea is gonna be important on the announcement the angels make when they show up. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, right? So being a follower of Jesus, being his child, means we've got the spirit of God in our hearts. So when people are like, I need to accept Jesus into my heart, it's stuff like this, verses like this, right? And they prompt us to call out, Abba, Father, right? A very intimate term. Now you are no longer a slave, but what? God's own child. So why did Jesus come? Wow, freedom and adoption. Man, it's an amazing story. And so we're going to look at that manger scene uh, this morning. But before we do that, I also want to introduce a little uh, a monkey wrench into the announcement that, that is made by the angels at the birth of Jesus. So we are all pretty familiar with a phrase that's going to sound the opposite of this. So in Matthew, uh, let's look at this verse together. Matthew 10, Jesus says, don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you're like, wait a minute. Didn't the angel say that he like peace on earth and goodwill toward men and all that business, right? Isn't that what the angel said that he was coming to bring? But what Jesus is saying here, and that verse also, goodwill toward men, uh, that isn't exactly an accurate way to say that. But this right here, Jesus understood what he was coming for. He knew he was coming into a fight, Right. He knew it wasn't about uh, like a peaceful little manger scene. He knew there was a lot going on that he was stepping into. He understood his mission and the purpose of his coming, his first advent, right? Because that little saying, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, again, is not really an accurate way to translate what's actually said. Even though Linus says it in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, 
right? So let's look at the story as it unfolds, because we're going we're gonna to contrast the event that we all know and love in Luke 2, and then we're also going to look in Revelation to see what's happening simultaneously at the birth of Jesus Christ, right? What does the gospel uh, say in Luke 2 as compared to what the Revelation says is happening spiritually? Now, here's my promise to you. I'm not going to wreck the Christmas story for you. My hope is that I'm going to deepen the Christmas story for you. So one, again, you see how it fits into the bigger story, but also really the importance of it. And you see the power that's in this story. So let's jump in to Luke chapter 2. And this is the nativity scene. This is the picture that most of us know. So in the same region, which is Bethlehem, shepherds, so these are people of um, bad reputation. So in Bethlehem, right? So again, house of bread, bait and lechem. So bait is house, lechem is bread. So there's these shepherds, people, again, nobody really likes them. They've got a bad reputation. They're staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? They were terrified, right? This is a pretty intense scene. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So this, this is important here, and this is really, really easy to miss. In Greek, right, the way this was written originally this right here, I proclaim to you good news. So this, that phrase right there, I proclaim to you good news, is literally like euangelizmai, like I am proclaiming the gospel to you. In the rest of the New Testament, when they talk about good news, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? That he came to this earth to be murdered and to be buried, and then to be resurrected to pay for your sin. Like, this is a fact that happened. So right at the birth announcement of Jesus Christ, the gospel literally is being proclaimed for all people. Like, this baby is here to give salvation to mankind. Like, that's the announcement. It's not just like, oh, this is good news. No, no literally, he is announcing that salvation is now available to all the people. And then verse 11. today. In the city of David, again, Bethlehem, a Savior was born for you, right? Again, a Savior, right? He's announcing the purpose of this birth, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And then verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, and this is a scene I want you to remember because it's going to be important here in a second. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, right? So now all of a sudden you have like this huge army praising God and saying, and here it is, glory to God in the highest heaven. And this is where it's different. And peace on earth to who? To people he favors. So who are these people that he favors? Well, he's already kind of announced it. This is, he's here to bring salvation, right? He's here to change relationship like we read in Galatians 4. Like John in chapter 1 of his gospel, those that accept what Jesus Christ did, those people are now his children. They're children of God now. And so those, these are, this is all being announced right here at the, at the, even before Jesus shows up, or right as Jesus shows up, this is what's happening. It's the purpose of all this is salvation. The purpose of all this is to become a child of God, to accept what has already been said, the Savior is going to do. So right from the beginning, 
spiritual warfare is being announced. It's being talked about because Jesus Christ is here to fight your fight, a fight you cannot fight on your own. He's here to offer you peace to those that he favors. And then verse 15, and this is kind of, again, this is uh, the scene that we know so well. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So there's the manger scene, right? That is like the Christmas story. And the reason I don't want to camp there too long is because there's, I think there's a bigger picture to look at of what is actually happening right now. Like right in these moments, what is going on spiritually? And a hint, again, from uh, what I said earlier, it looks a lot like a daring raid into enemy territory and an epic battle of good versus evil. Like that's the scene that we're about to see unfold. So if you go to Revelation 12, this is a prophecy and a note on Revelation really quickly. Revelation is obviously a prophetic book. Not only is it a prophetic book, but it's an apocalyptic book. So it's talking about the end times. And you have a lot of imagery in here. You have a lot of uh, confusing language in Revelation. And then you also have like what I talked about last Sunday. If you remember that picture that I showed, uh, that amazing piece of artistic uh, work there, you have the, the prophet and then you have these like mountaintops and he can see the mountaintops when he's making a prophecy. He doesn't know how far apart they are. He doesn't know how close they are. He's not really sure what's in the valleys between, right? He's just getting like a big scope picture sometimes. But again, how far apart are these things? We don't really know. And that's part of the messiness of Revelation chapter 12. And in this, you're going to see the first advent of Jesus. You're going to see the second advent of Jesus. And you're going to see the very end of time, like all kind of scattered across in this prophecy. So you are absolutely going to see some verses in here that talk about when Jesus came the first time. And here's the interesting thing, though. When uh, there's three characters, there's three individuals we're going to meet in here. We're going to meet a woman. We're going to meet a child, a boy child, a male child that she's going to give birth to. And we're going to meet a dragon. Right? Very Christmassy. Right? So I want you to go home later today, and I want you to get a dragon, and I want you to put it in your manger scene. Okay? And then I want you to get like a picture of Jesus punching him in the face, okay? So verse 1 of Revelation 12, a great sign appeared in heaven. So this is kind of a, the, against the backdrop of heaven, right? And So there's, here's this, what he sees. Here's this sign. A woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor in agony as she was about to give birth. So the question for our first individual is, who is this woman? See, naturally, it would go, well, that's Mary. Obviously, that's Mary. However, it's a little messy because this is apocalyptic prophecy, right? And there's Old Testament things to consider because John's writing to Jewish people. So who is talked about in this way? Well, so primarily, most likely, who's being talked about here first is the nation of Israel is being spoken of right? You got the 12 stars, right? The 12 tribes. You've got clothed in sun. You got the moon under her feet. This is a very majestic way to talk about somebody. 
And Mary was never talked about this way. Mary was always talked about as the peasant woman that she was. It was important for us to understand the lowly state of Mary because that's who Jesus would come from. That's who Jesus was. He was a lowly, humble servant that was born in the middle of nowhere to nobody, right? Like that's our savior humbly stepped into that kind of thing. And so first and foremost, we have to take that for what it is. We have to tie it to the Old Testament, again, right? The whole story and say, okay, so this is probably not primarily Mary. Primarily, it's talking about the nation of Israel who would give birth to the Messiah. And that's a promise that goes back thousands of years for these people. So finally, okay, so Jesus is the hope for Messiah. Also, though, practically speaking, it is Mary, right? Because she did give birth to the Messiah. So yes, she is included in that. But also, as you read through some of the verses that we're not going to cover this morning, there's this, there's this suffering that's going to happen by Mary. There's this exile that's going to happen that God's going to have to protect this woman through. And so that's not the nation of Israel. That's not Mary. So that's probably speaking about followers of Jesus in our day and going on into the future. So there's a lot wrapped up in this, these two verses talking about this mysterious woman but again, it's apocalyptic prophecy. So they're all blended. And as again, I was reading and studying this week about this, and I found this quote by Walter Elwell. And he says that all of this should be blended into one image is not at all unusual in apocalyptic symbolism, which is huge in the book of Revelation. So again, what is John seeing? Well, he's looking out and he's getting this prophecy, but he's seeing all these mountaintops, but he's not really sure how they interrelate to one another. And so he's just speaking the prophecy. And now that we're years later, we're able to see how some of these things have already panned out and how some of these things have already looked. Okay, so that was our first individual, uh, the woman. Now, then another sign appeared in heaven. And we also got a little flavor of the child there. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and seven horns. And on his head were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood, and, and this is important, in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. So who is this dragon? This dragon is clearly Satan. This is somebody that absolutely wants to stop the work of God through Jesus Christ, wants to destroy the very fact that this child is going to be born. And then again, you think to the, the nativity story, you think of the birth of Christ. What happened when Jesus was born? What did Herod do, right? Murdered all the children, two and below. That's another clue that we know that by the time the Magi got there, he may have been old, as old as two years old. And so there was a, an absolute work of Satan to, destroy, to try to destroy the work of God. And so when Jesus Christ shows up on the scene, it literally is a spiritual battle that's happening. And if you remember the scene from Luke chapter 2, you have a whole host. You have the army of angels showing up, giving glory. So no wonder a whole host of angels showed up because it was warfare that was happening. Like this is like literal spiritual warfare exploding onto the scene. And all this sounds like kind of crazy, but we're talking about God being born in a manger, right? So it's not really too far off. And so you have all of this stuff happening in the skies. Satan is absolutely furious, which we're going to see here in a little bit, as he shows up. And you even have a little bit of this, like, we don't really know when these things happen, but verse 4 seems to talk about when Satan was cast out of heaven. 
and the angels that he took with him, right? Why do we have Satan and demons? Well, because of scenes like this and Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, maybe, right? And you have uh, Genesis 3. And so you have all these different scenes that we're kind of seeing here. So when is this happening? Again, it's kind of all of the above that we're seeing in this apocalyptic prophecy. So verse 4, or verse 5, sorry. So finally, she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. And that's quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So that's kind of a, a confusing verse there because it's like, well, when, was, when did that ever happen? Again, thinking about the, the nature of prophecy, John is talking about his first advent, but he's talking about the beginning of it when he came and probably when he left his ascension, right, in the book of Acts. So he was taken up. So we're, again, we're looking at probably this one applying specifically to that first coming. But what was going on, though? What was the spiritual side of this? And here's the warfare side of all this. Uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels also fought. But what? He could not prevail. There was no place in him for heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent who is called, now we get a name for this dragon, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. So this is the kind of war-like scenery that we, we've got going on here. This is probably talking about, again, timeline is tough with prophecy, but you're probably looking at the life of Jesus. You're probably looking at the entire first advent, the birth, the warfare that was happening there. You're looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like you're looking at a lot here when all this is going on, this kind of warfare and the hatred and the fury that it leads to. Because again, this D-Day imagery is something that we get more and more of as this chapter goes on. And then there's the victory hymn, though. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come, right? Again, it's like another announcement about the power and glory of Jesus Christ because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down, right? Just spiritual warfare that you see happening. And like I said earlier, right, just something that I picked up just last week or the week before, Satan, the accuser, is going to take your sin and point you towards shame. But Jesus, our Savior, will take your sin and point you toward freedom, right? Because Satan is the accuser. That's how he's named in this verse. And this is why right here, this next verse here uh, is a big reason why we want to share our testimony videos. It's why at Quayblog Church, we want you to know your story of how you came to know Christ and the difference that Christ has made in your life. Like this verse 11 here says this about our story. First and foremost, they conquered Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, right? The blood of the lamb, number one, but also their stories were powerful. They shared their stories and it influenced other people. Your story is important. So they did not love their lives to the point of death, right? They were just willing, they were all in. In verse 12, therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. It's like, yay for heaven. But then this other part, woe to earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury. Because why? 
because he knows his time is short. So at some point you had this epic battle happening, which was then brought to earth, which was then like seen in its like in its fullness at the birth of Christ as Satan is literally trying to stop the birth of Christ. He's trying to shut down what God is doing. And so he's, his time is short. He knows it. And so he comes down furious. So this, again, this is the kind of scene that's unfolding at the birth of Christ because these prophecies, they start at the birth of Christ and then somewhere in time past, and then they go on into the future. Like all these prophecies are hitting all these spaces in time. And then verse 17. So the dragon was furious, second time mentioned, with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. So those that would believe because of the Messiah, right? Those that the announcement was made to in Luke chapter two. Satan does not want you to have any kind of victory, any kind of freedom. Satan wants to destroy everything. Jesus Christ himself said that. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Like as Christians, we can't let go of the fact that Satan is real, that spiritual warfare is real because the Bible that we believe in, what Jesus Christ, our risen savior gave us, says you need to understand what is happening. And what I came into, because this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to attack. He wants to destroy. So the scene that we see, I think, is one that um, can be a little alarming and a little, uh, you know, unchristmassy. But I think, though, that it, it gives me a better appreciation. Like this week has been really interesting for me to study and pray and read through Scripture and think about what was happening Christmas night. What exactly was going on? What was at stake Christmas night at the nativity scene? Like that beautiful little scene we have. And for me just to be like, okay, I'm not just going to be in the manger. Like I'm going to, I'm going to take that story for the full amount of power that's involved in it. Like what Jesus actually did and what was happening in the heavens. And like that Jesus Christ, again, for me, he wanted me that much that he knowingly stepped into it. Like he said in Matthew 10. I came with a sword because I knew exactly what I was getting into because you matter that much to me. Like, that's what this was all about. It wasn't just about the manger. It was about the cross. It was about spiritual life and spiritual death. Because there's a, go to this next one, PJ. This is how I, I would love to see little baby Jesus as a freedom fighter that came on a daring against all odds rescue mission for the souls of mankind. Like, that's what was happening during the Christmas story. Jesus knowingly came into that fight for you and for me. So this Advent season, change our question just a little bit. What would it look like for you to embrace the freedom that Jesus went to war for? You know, we talk about this in Veterans Day and Memorial Day. You know, people going to war and fighting for our freedom. But do you ever look at the Christmas story in that light? That Jesus went to war for your freedom. That's why he came. That's it. That's why he came. Stepped right into it. And lastly, what we talked about earlier about freedom. I just want to remind us this so we don't get too far away. Satan, the accuser, he's going to take your sin. Again, and what? Remind me, point you toward what? That's because he's the accuser, right? Named in Revelation 12. But Jesus, our Savior, my Savior, your Savior, he's going to take your sin and point you toward what? Right. Like that's the Christmas story. That's what was going down. That's what was at stake. That's what our Jesus did. But it doesn't end there, right? We're going to look at next week, we're going to look at peace. But then we're also going to look at Revelation 19. We're going to be there later in this series. On Christmas Day, actually, we're going to land in Revelation 19. Because we're going to look at where the story goes. Because that's not it. It's a huge, important part of it. But there's more. 
there's still a lot more. And so we're going to cover that as this Advent season unfolds. So let me close in prayer uh, on that. So Lord, I, I just want to give, uh, I want to give this story to you, Lord. This is your story, Jesus. And this is something that you did for me and for all of us, Lord. So um, I just pray that we would be able to see that. Um, it, it is cool and it's fun to, to have the nostalgia of that scene, but help us to see it as you did, Lord. When you took your disciples to talk about yourself, you took them all the way back to the beginning um, because you, were, you came at just the right time for a very specific purpose, Lord, that was part of a bigger story. Help us just to, to know that and appreciate that and be changed because of that truth, Lord. I pray this Christmas season, Lord, you'd help us to rediscover what it's all about. For those of us that are feeling dry in our faith, Lord, to rediscover how much you care for us personally. And I just ask your blessing on this Christmas season, Lord, a season that uh, hopefully for us is about you and what you've done for us and how much you love us. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen. All right. God bless everybody. Merry Christmas. We love you. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.